You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Psalms. James says we draw near to him. He, in turn, draws near to us. I'm going to make a suggestion here, and I just say this because I've experienced it in my own life. Sometimes God will deem it necessary to allow adversity to strike for this reason alone. It's to get me to seek Him, to draw near to Him, to spend time with Him. Don't ever see that as God being cruel. No, He loves us. David was no stranger to affliction and hardship, but he learned in those times that the best thing to do was to draw near to God and worship Him. As Pastor J.D. encourages us in today's message, when you find yourself in the midst of heartache and the storms of life, seek God. He will pull you in and comfort you in a way no one else can. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in Psalms chapter 27 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Psalm 27. It's a a Psalm of David again. Verse uh, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Who shall I fear? That's rhetorical, by the way. (laughs) The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You almost get this sense that he's taunting in asking, who shall I fear? In other words, because the Lord is my light and my salvation, I will fear no one. My daughter, the other day we were, um, I forget what we were doing. She asked me, she says, what are you afraid of? And I, I, one of those, you know, questions where, you, you know, you find yourself just almost a, a knee-jerk reaction. And I said, I fear nothing. And she, so she starts, are you, really? So she starts listing things. Are you afraid of cockroaches? No, I'm not afraid of cockroaches. And she starts going down this list of all the things that she's afraid of. And I said, no, I'm, I'm not afraid of anything or anyone. And the reason I'm not afraid is because the Lord is the strength of my life. Really? Who who would I be afraid of? And then I was one of those teachable moments where you talk about the healthy fear. You know, there's an unhealthy fear, and then there's a healthy fear, and the healthy fear is the fear of the Lord, which we just talked about. So when you fear the Lord, (laughs) then you're not going to be afraid of anything or anyone because the Lord is the strength of your life. The Lord is your light and your salvation. Now it's interesting because we get a glimpse into what David is kind of experiencing at this time. In verse 2 he says, when the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, this is pretty graphic, (laughs) just speaks to the viciousness of his enemies and his foes, he says. But then he says, they stumbled and fell. (laughs) Take that. Verse 3, though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, 
In this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And now, verse 6, my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. And then verse 7, he sort of turns a corner instead of talking about what he's going to do. He's now talking to the Lord. And he says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, Lord, Will I seek? Ah, I love that. Wow, what a psalm. I wanted to kind of break it up. I hope you don't mind into a couple of parts here. To uh, Don't really want to miss what is here. This is one of my favorite all-time psalms. And God has used this psalm in my life in a very powerful way, even a very personal way. It actually came by way of my daughter, Noelle when she died and God gave me very specifically this psalm and it was a very calming and settling and even an encouraging psalm but it's also a very instructive psalm that provides us with practical things that we can do specifically during those seasons in our lives when we find ourselves just overwhelmed full of fear under tremendous pressure and stress and being in that place where you don't know what to do and you don't know how it's going to end. There are, in the first eight verses, three things that David does, and I kind of want to go through them real quick before we go any further into the psalm. The first thing that David does is in verse 4. Notice, He seeks the Lord. Your face will I seek. I will seek you, Lord. He draws near to the Lord. He seeks the Lord and he spends time with the Lord. Now one would think that this would be a firm grasp of the obvious, but the reality is, and truth be known, sometimes when we go through those really dark times, Seeking the Lord and drawing near to the Lord is the last thing we do, not the first thing we do. And this is, to me, one of the most powerful and even practical things we can ever do when we're under stress, when we find ourselves full of fear in those times of great pressure. It's a time to draw near to the Lord. James says we draw near to Him. He, in turn, draws near to us. I'm going to make a suggestion here, and I just say this because I've experienced it in my own life. Sometimes God will deem it necessary to allow adversity to strike for this reason alone. 
It's to get me to seek him, to draw near to him, to spend time with him. Don't ever see that as God being cruel. No, he loves us. And sometimes during those seasons in our lives, he just wants us all to himself. Because there are things that he wants to show us and reveal to us. And the only time that he's able to do that is during times of adversity. Because when we're going through those seasons in our life when things are going well, let's be honest, we're not as prone to uh, seek the Lord as much, draw near to the Lord as much, and certainly not spend time with the Lord as much. The second thing that David does is in verse 5, and this is interesting, and I want to talk about this just a little bit. He says he went into and hid himself in the tabernacle and the pavilion of the Lord. What does that mean? Oh, he did not forsake assembling together as Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, is the manner of some. In other words, he was with God's people during this season in his life. And isn't it true that the tendency when we're going through difficulty is to kind of pull back. We don't really want to be around people. And to do so is to rob ourselves from uh, the richness of, and perhaps even a word fitly spoken from that brother or sister that God is going to use to minister to you in the fellowship, in the church. But during times of adversity, sometimes the last thing we want to do is is be around God's people. This is an interesting passage in in Hebrews. I think we do err greatly when we see it as just gathering ourselves together. The word that's used there is the word assembling. And and that changes the whole complexion of it. I, I like the illustration I use Uh, I totally plagiarized this from somebody else, but it's a great illustration uh, concerning the difference between gathering and assembling. So I can take this watch and all the parts, and I can just gather them all together and put them here on on the pulpit, and all they are are parts that are gathered together. But it's when I assemble all of those parts together that now it starts functioning. It starts working. And that's how we are as parts of the body of Christ. When we assemble together, we interlock one with another. And that is a healthy, functioning body with all the parts assembled together. You know, I'm never romantic about the idea that the ministry that takes place here in this church is just from pulpit to pew. That is not the case. (laughs) I would venture to say that sometimes more ministry takes place between you and you than it does between pulpit and pew. It's when after church you are in fellowship because you're assembling with the saints and God will put on somebody's heart a word just for you. And so if you don't assemble yourself as is the manner of some, you are 
I hate to say it this way, but you're actually playing into the enemy's hands. That's, the, that's exactly what the enemy wants. He wants to keep you away from God and from God's people. Because he knows what could happen when you draw near to the Lord and you're assembling together with the Lord's people. This is what a healthy, you know, a, a church, who was I talking to about this um, recently? We're drawing the distinction between, uh, you know, the church being an organism, not an organization. In other words, in the context of, uh, you know, the ministry is nothing like, you know, being in business. You cannot, <laughs> you know, uh, run a church. I hate to say it that way. It sounds kind of almost, um, you know, profane, but... Uh, you can't run a church the way you run a business. A business is an organization, but the church is an organism, a living organism. And one of the things that, that I had to, I, I like to say, unlearn when I first got into the ministry many years ago was I had to unlearn many of the things that I had learned in the business world, owning my own business. I I started trying to bring those models into the ministry and oh my goodness was was that a recipe for disaster and failure or what the church is an organism it is the body of Christ and when you think of it that way the different parts of the body work in concert one with the other when assembled together and this is what David does One of the things that is so important when you're in a very difficult situation is to be around God's people, not to forsake the assembling together, as is the manner of some. Third thing that David does is in verses 6 and 7, and this is important, not that the others weren't, but he spends more time in praise, more time in worship, and especially more time in prayer. He is praising God, he is worshiping God, but he's also crying out to God, hearken unto the voice of my cry. I heard uh, someone mention this recently, but uh, think about this. God recognizes our voice. He recognizes our voice, distinct from anyone else's voice. He just like We know our children's voice. He knows our voice. And when we give voice to our prayer and even our praise, and and what do we know to be true about praise and prayer? Our prayers are a fragrance to the Lord before his throne, like incense that is very pleasing to him. I think of it when, when my boys were very young, I used to love to hear their voice. You know, in fact, I had someone, greatest advice I ever was given by somebody said, record their voice when they're young. So I have a lot of home video, but I also have, I recorded a voicemail message one time from both of my boys. They called me and I recorded that and I copied it into an mp3 file and I have it to this day on my hard drive every once in a while I'll of course now there's 20 and 17 soon to be 18 and so every once in a while I'll just remind myself of how cute they were when they were young and what their voice sounded like it is so precious 
And one of the things the Lord really ministered to me was, you know how precious listening and hearing their voices to you? How much more is it for me to hear your voice? Sometimes I think God just likes to hear us and hear our voice when we pray. I think that's one of the reasons why it is so precious to him, so pleasing to him. I want to talk more about prayer here in a moment. Verse 9, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me or forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father, verse 10, and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path. I like that prayer. Lord, I want a, I want a smooth path. Well, he's qualifying and he says, because of my enemies. In other words, the enemies were making it pretty rough. Do not, verse 12, deliver me to the will of my adversaries for false witnesses have risen against me and such as breathe out violence. And then verses 13 and 14, and these are the life verses that God really gave to me and has used very powerfully in my life. I want you to listen very carefully to this. This is a promise from Almighty God. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. What does that mean? That means this side of heaven. The land of the living is here and now on earth. And then he says, and and he's talking kind of to himself. He says, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Okay, now, let's get real here, okay? David came this close. Was just hanging on by a thread. Had almost given up was this close to losing heart. And what does he say? I would have lost heart. I would have completely just given up. The whole bottom is dropped out. And I would have just completely been given over to despair. But it was because I had believed that the Lord is good and that I would see the good that God would bring this side of heaven. You know, one of the things that, and I wish that we, it's almost like we become numb to Romans 8.28. We've we've memorized it, we quote it, we sing it, we know it, but think about it. Do you know what Romans 8.28 is saying? It's basically echoing what David is saying here in this psalm. What he's saying is, no matter how bad it is, I'm confident of this one fact, that I will see the goodness of, I don't know how, I don't know the way, I don't know when, I just know that God is good. And I will see the goodness of the Lord even out of this. Even out of this. Yeah, but man, I'm, I'm hanging on by a thread. I know. Yeah, but this is really, really, really bad. 
I know. <laughs> but God, but God can take bad and make good. And that's what David's saying here. And the key word here is that confidence. Not, a, not an arrogance, but again, that sanctified confidence. I'm still confident of this. I almost lost heart. In fact, I would have lost heart were it not for my confidence in the goodness of the Lord and that I would see the goodness of the Lord. And he says, I believed. I believed it. I know that everything around me and everything that's happening to me and as bad as this is for me contradicts everything that I believe to be true about the goodness of God. But I'm gonna, not going to believe in that. I'm going to believe in God. Yes, this is bad. But I'm going to believe in, trust in, have the confidence in the goodness of the Lord and that God will somehow and some way bring good this side of heaven. And he will. He will. Now, here's the problem. And the problem is verse 14. And it has to do with waiting. <laughs> oh, see, you're just a lot like me, aren't you? I hate to wait. I hate to wait. I mean, I really hate to wait. And don't look at me like that because you hate to wait too. What is it about us, innate within us, that chafes at this waiting on the Lord to do what he's going to do. Time goes on. <laughs> we pray, we trust, we hope, and it just seems that God's just not in as big of a hurry as we are. It's been said that God is never late, but neither is God early. And here's the thing, we don't want him to be early because his timing is perfect. Were he to be early, it could be premature, and in so doing, we could be robbed of that which he wants to do in the process. I think of Joseph. I've been thinking about Joseph a lot lately. I cannot wait. I love this man. I cannot wait to meet him in heaven. He waited 17 years. I think it was 17 years from the time that he got that dream to the time that he was the most powerful man in the world next to Pharaoh. 17 years. And all that he had to go through before, and it was bad. I mean, some of the things that, that happened to him were just unthinkable. The poetry of the Psalms evokes emotions of all kinds. The authors' lives were as varied as their songs, yet each point to truth we can't deny. God is still God, always in control, and forever loving His creation. We can rest in the knowledge that our Heavenly Father cares for us deeply and is supporting us, calming us and providing life everlasting. We hope today's teaching on In Spirit and Truth stays with you as you continue on in your day, reminding you of truth and love at every turn. If you'd enjoy listening to more messages from Pastor J.D. Farag, you'll be able to find them on our website at inspiritandtruthradio.com. We do treasure our connection with our listeners. 
we'd like you to be a part of our social media community. Follow the links on our website to our Facebook or Twitter pages where you can add your thoughts to the conversations while filling your news feed with encouragement and useful information. We'd love to see you here in person at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe if you're in the area too. We hold services every Sunday at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m. or come by on Thursdays at 7 p.m. for an in-depth Bible study. Directions can be found on our website. Again, that's inspiritandtruthradio.com. If you can't join us in person, we hope you'll find a local church community soon that you can call home. Having a supportive and biblically-based church is an incredible blessing in your faith experience. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll join Pastor J.D. again to continue studying the Psalms right here on In Spirit and Truth.